We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome on in. This is the RotoWire Fantasy Football Podcast for Thursday, June 1st. We're into June already, folks. That means the season is around the corner. Today, we are getting into some more best ball discussion, breaking down some key differences between Underdog and DraftKings for their best ball formats. Going to get into some news and notes from around the league, some potential running back dominoes, a lot more here. So stay tuned for more on the RotoWire Fantasy Football Podcast. on in. This is the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast for Thursday, June 1st. I'm your host, John McKechnie, joined as always by Mario Puig. This podcast presented by our friends over at Circa. Mario, how are you doing on this fine Thursday? Uh, pretty good. How about you, John? Uh, you know, I've just been, uh, at, you know, coming off of Memorial Day weekend, usually uh, my, my social calendar a little bit more filled up than, than it was this time around. So I just did a ton of drafts, both on Underdog uh, and on DraftKings uh, over the weekend. I felt very cool uh, do, doing that. And uh, well, at the very least, I have things to to talk about uh, with, with you today. I actually want to spring one on you. Um, we, we, we talked a little bit pre-show, got our, got our uh, strategy for, for today's pod. But um, I want to talk about the path forward if and when. Uh, you go after the the expensive chief stack. How do you go about doing it? Um, how often do you feel compelled to do it? Um, and and have you endeavored down that line thus far in draft season? Well, I think there's a few that are worth pursuing. I, the you know very best one, I suppose, would be somehow getting Mahomes and Kelsey, which you're probably going to need Kelsey a lot of the times to fall a little bit past ADP, at least on. Underdog, I want to say. I'm not as familiar with the DraftKings ADP at this point, but uh, you'll see Kelsey go as high as like four and five and stuff like that. So uh, to be able to get both Kelsey in the first and Mahomes before Mahomes goes in the second is sometimes a little easier said than done. And uh, I, I have tried it myself and gotten sniped, I think, on Mahomes in the second round every time that I've taken Kelsey in the first. I don't know how many times I've taken Kelsey. It's not like I've done this a dozen times or something, but uh, yeah, it's it's surprisingly difficult to pull off. So it's like, it's it's not necessarily the easiest thing to get a, a draft slot where you get Kelsey lined up 
And then even the times that you do, you can sometimes miss on Mahomes before your second pick comes up. So yeah, I, I hope I could get some of that because it's, it's definitely, like I said, one that I've tried to get already and just kind of got uh, sniped on. But if you can't get Kelsey with Mahomes, then it's still, I think, worth considering all those other guys. Tony, I, I know, is a little tougher to fit. It, like you can get MVS and Sky Moore pretty cheap. I think there's even a case to taking like Richie James in the, the last round or something like that. Uh, Rasheed Rice, I actually like and, and uh, including this year more than most people do. Um, but yeah, even Tony, the guy that I'm maybe most um, leery of or I, I see the upside and I want to believe basically, but I'm just afraid. I think it makes sense to to take him at ADP just because it's kind of like um, I feel like he's going at just the exact price where as long as you're getting him as like the wide receiver for even wide receiver three, it's easy enough to get some like supplementary depth right there so that you're not just like truly putting it all on him. So um, there's a lot of risk with him, but the upside I think makes it worth pursuing. And so, uh, yeah, I would, I would think it makes sense to get any of those guys, but if you can get Kelsey Mahomes, uh, Kadarius, Tony, that'd be great. And I guess we'll see what happens with Deandre Hopkins. I would, I think I have a few Mahomes Hopkins teams, so that would be maybe good for me if, if Hopkins went there. Yeah, I was I was wondering what where Hopkins kind of fit, fits into that potential um, equation, but I, I had um, a, a draft position where I was able to to pull off that stack. I was picking oh, nice. uh, si- sixth on underdog, um, so I went Kelsey and Mahomes. I, obviously, you don't love overpaying for for your quarterback in, in the second round, but I don't think um, it is. I mean, like, and objectively, that's where like where the market is at anyway. So it's like it's uh, not even a reach by ADP. It, it maybe in past years, but not this one. Those those expensive quarterbacks are really expensive. They 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 sure are. I mean, you're seeing upwards of like three guys go um, in in like the the second round as far as quarterbacks are concerned. Like J- J- you'll see Josh Allen and and Jalen Hurts uh, go in the, in the second round as well. So I, I was able to to pull that off. Um, but you know, for, from there, when you start um, at, at tight end and and quarterback with your first two picks, like you do, kind of need to get creative with with the rest of your build, um, just because you know usually conventionally, like those are the positions that that I wait on, so that like that team just inherently um, is going to look a lot different. Um, so after I, I you know double tap the Chiefs, I went with Etn, Mike Williams. Uh, we talked about Miles Sanders last week on the pod. Had to had to grab some more, and I also got uh, Pacheco a little bit later in the in the uh, in the seventh round. And I also got Sky Moore, so I, I did kind of dive in. Yeah, Sky Moore is interesting too. I think he's the one that I have no exposure of at this point, and it's not because I've meant to avoid him, but I will say that Richie James signing is a little bit creepy for Sky Moore because. Uh, they are largely similar prospects in terms of like uh, where they came from and the, all that. Like Richie James was probably even a better college receiver at middle Tennessee than uh, sky Moore was at Western Michigan. But the difference is Richie James has like barely viable level uh, size adjusted athleticism. Whereas sky Moore is toolsy. Like it's, he's small. Yes. Or he's short rather, uh, but he's densely built and he's very athletic uh, in general. And certainly when you adjust for builds. So I do think Sky Moore, as long as he makes the kind of progress that the Chiefs expect of him, he should be fine. But if he disappoints, I do worry about Richie James uh, basically giving them stability that in that event that they they wouldn't be getting from more. So I, I feel like the, the the upside is maybe 
a little bit limited enough in Moore's case that I, I don't, I'm not as eager to take the risk uh, as in some other cases. And, and bizarrely, I think Valdez Scantling is the one that I have by far the most because it's uh, not that I'm, I, I don't even think he's a very good player from scrimmage, but he's going to play a three down role. And I think a lot of the, the ADP assumptions, uh, and I get it after, especially after drafting uh, Rasheed Rice, and especially if they sign Hopkins. Um, but even if they sign Hopkins, MVS is playing a three down. He could lead them in snaps, even if they sign DeAndre Hopkins. So uh, he's out there as a decoy. Uh, his his target rate is not negotiable past a certain point. Like he's never going to be a guy who draws a target every eight snaps. Uh, it might be more like twelve, but he will be out there, and. He goes in like the 14th, I, w- I want to say maybe even 15th sometimes. And at that price in best ball, especially if you have Mahomes, it's like just just get Valdez Scantling, in my opinion, assuming it's not like the fourth chief that you'd be taking at that point. Okay, so slight misstep by by me by by going with with uh, Sky Moore in, instead. But no, I uh, sorry, I would take more over MVS, but more usually I think goes like two or three rounds ahead of MVS. Correct. So it just costs more. And, and that's why I don't have him. So in your in your mind's eye what without without Hopkins what does the Chiefs uh three when they go three wide what does that loadout look like Uh Valdez Scantling somewhere he can be in the slot he can be outside Kadarius Tony same thing I guess I guess you call him interchangeable too but the difference is Valdez Scantling's got those post route fly route kind of plays Whereas Tony, it almost has to be that they're going to mostly use him horizontally. And uh, I don't know what that's going to look like exactly. Like there's no, there's no Tony like player out there. So there's no template that the chiefs would have already had in place for a player like him. Like they, they probably had to still, even now might still be trying to kind of figure out exactly what to do with him. But I think it's safe to say Tony's not going to have a high depth of target, uh, not the lowest on the team, but among the lowest. And um, I think Rasheed Rice is a really good bet to be the other starter. And he's he's um, he would be in, in more trouble if they sign Hopkins. But if they don't sign Hopkins, I think Rasheed Rice is clearly a good buy. And I'd, I'd probably project him higher than Sky Moore straight up because he uh, Rasheed Rice can line up at all spots and be on the field no matter where the Chiefs offense is on the field. So like people would kind of misunderstand what was going on with Nicole Hardman when he was on the Chiefs, especially with uh, Byron Pringle there. And they'd rotate Hardman off the field when they'd get in like the red zone or where they had a you know slot route that's running an in-breaking short route, a slant over the middle, something like that. Uh, and Hardman would basically be too skinny and frail to be running those plays. So they put in Pringle and he runs those plays. And that's why Hardman would never get a three-down roll. It would never get quite as many you know snaps and targets as people wanted. Rasheed Rice just stays on the field through all that. Like he, he is Pringle if they're looking for a Pringle. And uh, he's, he's Hardman, not in the sense that he is Hardman, obviously. He's not similar at all, really. But he would be in a consideration for the same routes and especially that depth of the field where Hardman would get rotated out. So especially if Tony misses time, which he has done always. Oh, yeah. I really like Rasheed Rice's chances of being second most in snaps behind Valdez Scantling if they don't sign DeAndre Hopkins. And yet when it comes to, to Sky Moore, we are, we're not draft capital donkeys, but he was taken in the second round last year. Like they got to get something out of it, right? Yeah, and I, th- I think they are going to try to give him a shot. I don't think that they signed Richie James because they hate Sky Moore. 
I think they more so they they just they they know you know we're gonna run a lot of trips we're gonna have a lot of slot reps nothing wrong with having Richie James as a backup but if Sky Moore does not take a step forward in this offseason maybe Richie James will be better in the slot too than Sky Moore so I think they're gonna give more that chance and basically expect him to take advantage of it but he just needs to make like the customary level of progress that a, that a prospect his age would be expected to make based on the traits that he has based on the way he's produced in the past. So I think if, if more just stays on his like baseline projection, he's fine. He would have to like stumble at some point. Okay. All right. So, I mean, last year he, he ran, uh, yeah, primarily out, out of the slot. Like, like you alluded to probably he's stuck there. That's, that's the real limitation with him is like Valdez Gantling, uh, Tony, those guys, Rashi Rice, they can line up at any spot. They can compete for a rep at any spot. Moore has to make it. He has to smash in the slot. Like he can't let someone else be picking at some of his share there. No, exactly. And and you know the the sample was small last year, but you know that there's good and bad uh, parts to it. You know he's a low A dot guy, um, but you know the the yards after the catch were were solid on on a per catch basis for for him. I mean he he is able to to do stuff once he gets the ball in his hands for sure. But um, yeah. I don't know. I, I think more than anything in, in this particular team build, I, I just wanted to get um, an, another Chiefs pass catcher. And then w- one last one, and this will kind of dovetail a little bit with our uh, conversation later on with, with, you know, end of the draft type of guys. But what about old friend Justin Ross? Well, some people are definitely going to be picking him in best ball. I, I would sooner see it as possible or viable on DraftKings, just because they have the 20 round formats. Whereas I'm, if I'm missing, unless I'm missing something, underdog does not have those at the moment. They're only 18 rounds. Correct. Taking Ross in the 18th. That means uh, you're taking him not that long after, you know, Mar- Marcus Valdez Scantling. And if you had to call it now, or if I had to call it now, I would say Ross does not make the team, you know? So those kinds of to, to have to like him that much more than, you know, the other guys at cost is, is a leap that I have trouble making. Maybe I would more easily make it if I were the kind of person who has like 2000 entries in a, in a thing. Cause yeah, at, at that point, why not draft some Justin Ross, if only to cover for what must be many other scenarios of chiefs pass catching uh, <laughs> insurance that you could use. So, um, yeah, I'm not going to tell anyone not to do it. I know I won't be making that pick on underdog. I assume on DraftKings, he's going to get enough hype because of that one play, which is a really, I got to say, a bad basis for people to be getting hyped about him. I mean, he was running that route. I don't know if you noticed this, John. It was it was against like their number four safety. Oh, so okay. <laughs> he's a fast player, but he's he's he was on the practice squad last year. So... Uh, I think I think the legend of Ross has been a little bit oversold. It's it's becoming one of those things that just uh, people want to see so badly that you're not going to have a room full of like clear eyed drafters. There's going to be like at least a few people who are kind of the super fans and and they're not going to let you get him for cheap. So it's it's a um, you know if he plays snaps, it's going to work. I just I feel like it's it's um a unique level of risk for probably not that much upside for for the cost of the ticket. Okay. All right. So fair enough. I will uh 
press pause on, on accumulating any more uh, Justin Ross shares for now. To be fair, just got him in the in the last round in in a couple spots. But in DraftKings, um, though, it's twenty rounds, so it's yeah. I mean, over there, that's totally different. That's true. That that's definitely true. So that that's one of like the important you know distinctions you want to make as far as your, your roster construction uh, is concerned. Um, let's see. Uh, last night I uh, did did an underdog draft, and I didn't go into it with with this plan whatsoever. But uh, when I when I find that there's something attainable in in the stack universe. Uh, and I, I start accumulating some pieces of it. Like I, I start to kind of, you know, go after it a little bit more. And in this particular case, um, I hated what was on the board at, at receiver for the most part and, and at a bunch of other positions. So I took Jonathan Mingo and then I backed that up with Adam Thielen. And then I took Bryce Young and then I got Hayden Hurst as my tight end too. How big of a waste what was that draft? Well, I'm probably the very worst person to ask because I I don't trust anything about the Panthers. I, I didn't tr- I didn't trust any of the sales pitch on Bryce Young first overall. To the extent that I think Young can make it in the NFL, I have no faith in the Panthers putting the necessary vision in place to suit him. So I I wouldn't make those picks, but I I, I will say. Young is cheap enough that it makes sense to p- take him. Like it's there's a certain level of risk and maybe a certain limitation to his upside, but he's very cheap. He must be going he must be going later than he was certainly around the draft because I remember at the draft thinking like oh no way in hell and now I remember doing a draft recently where I was like should I take Bryce Young and I didn't but I thought about it which was before I didn't think about it even so uh, Young is not the problem and I do have interest in Terrace Marshall who you can get oh. in the last round. I think actually DJ. So if I'm going to give the, the Panthers some credit about their, their vision here and how prepared they are to accommodate young DJ Chark and Terrace Marshall are the exact perfect kinds of receivers for him on the boundary. Like he needs Bryce young needs to make a living um, getting those kind of short fly routes. You know, the, like those, those fades in the middle of the field that, that aren't necessarily in the end zone it's like get that fade route where it's the boundary receiver getting a step on the corner and having the speed and catch radius to just kind of reel in something lofted toward that sideline before the safety gets there. And Chark and Marshall are built specifically for that and and maybe nothing else. So getting them in that spot could be a a good, like, you know, money ball move by them. Mingo though, I, 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 man, I don't know what to think about him. He, he can line up pretty much anywhere. But I do wonder if he's going to settle in to the slot mainly, uh, even if Chark walks next offseason, even if Marshall's gone at some point. I think Mingo might be their slot guy after Thielen. And Thielen, I think, will kind of run ahead of him uh, when physically able this year. The reason I'm, I'm mentioning maybe Mingo in the slot rather than outside is just he's not really a separation guy. And right. I don't know... Uh, other other than kind of like freezing that safety and and getting a blocking advantage over the slot type corners that you usually see, uh, I don't know how you make how you leverage Mingo's athleticism into big play threats. So I kind of like him in the slot there because if if you put in a small corner against him, he can kind of bully them a little bit and ideally bully them after the catch. Like I, I think they need to get his speed going, uh, free it up in the field and get him the ball. 
Because when you watch him running routes, he just kind of, I don't know what it is. I don't know enough about route running to tell you what he's doing wrong exactly. But corners never be, corners are never getting fooled when, when Mingo's running a route. It's, there seems to be something kind of like, like he buffers a little too long in between parts of the route or something like that. So he's big and he's fast, but he never seems to run away from anyone, even players who are smaller and slower than him. So I think that might not be his game, but it could be his game perfectly fine to, to just kind of get a short opening or something and create yards after the catch. Cause it, that's just, you know, going from point A to point B at that point with the football. And um, there's, He'd have to have just terrible running instincts to to be useless there. But running outside, I don't think he can match Marshall or Shark. Uh, at least not not before the red zone, maybe. <sighs> well, uh, the the introduction of Marshall to this conversation is not something that I that I factored in clearly uh, nearly enough. He's pretty limited. I like again him and so Shark and especially Marshall. They 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 might be very good at that you know, sideline vertical game, but it's kind of the only game they can play. So they, they have to make it work that way. Right. Okay. All right. Well, either way, um, the, the rest of that team for those curious is Eckler, Amon Ross, St. Brown, Najee, DeAndre Hopkins, JK Dobbins, Kyle Pitts, Deshaun Watson, Elijah Moore, Samaje P. Ryan, Odell, and then a lot of Panthers with a couple other things mixed in at the end that we'll touch on a little bit later. So I don't totally hate that team, but I, I can I can see where I, I've hemmed myself into a very thin margin of error. Before we get on over to our next uh, discussion point, a uh, message from our friends over at Blue Wire. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And a message from our friends at Circa. The ultimate fantasy football draft can only take place in Las Vegas. Circa Resort and Casino wants to bring your whole league to Vegas with the ultimate fantasy football experience giveaway. Bring your 12-person league for a two-night stay at Circa Resort and have your draft at a cabana at Stadium Swim. Plus, limo transportation to and from the airport, a welcome party at the Legacy Club, a booth at the world's largest sports book, and more. A prize package valued at over $8,000. There's no better place to draft than Circa. 21 and up, go to CircaLasVegas.com for more information. Again, that's CircaLasVegas.com. Dot com for more information on that ultimate fantasy football draft. All right, Mario, let's dig into some of these veterans that are potential dominoes, guys that either are unsigned or potential cut candidates. We will start with DeAndre Hopkins and, and where we think his potential landing spots are. I have no idea how the Bills are even in on the bidding, but by all accounts, they are. So they must have some way of clearing up the necessary cap space. I have no idea what it is. I tend to believe that even if the Bills can get enough money to get Hopkins, then they still can, in every single case, be outbid by both the Chiefs and the Jets. The one thing is, I haven't seen any reporting about whether Hopkins is considering the Jets at all. The Jets would basically just need to cut Corey Davis. And if they did, and I think it would make a lot of sense for the Jets to do this, they'd have Hopkins mostly on the outside, Wilson lining up anywhere, Lazard mainly in the slot, unless they're in the red zone. And you can have Hardman as the fly route, post route, play action sprinter to to make the safeties, burn some calories back there and clear out some cover for everybody else underneath. So I think it makes sense for the Jets, but pretty much all the mainstream reporting has been more so linking Hopkins to the Bills and the Chiefs. And I don't know what to make of this. I I hope I'm not uh, misattributing this. I think it was a Jeremy Fowler is that a person's name? Uh, somebody. Okay. Uh, they, they, um, what did they say? They said it appeared that the bills were more urgent than the chiefs because the chiefs thought Kadarius Tony could be their wide receiver one. And I don't know why that would come up. Like, and if it, to the extent that it did, I think it would have to be kind of like a, I don't know, contract jockeying detail. I have no idea. Cause, uh, it, also, it would be poor reasoning by the Chiefs. I mean, Kadarius Tony has he played like 500 snaps in the NFL? Like, I I don't even remember. Uh, it, it's it's been everywhere now. Florida, the Gi- the Giants just kind of Dable got there and was within like a month saying no, we got to get well, rid of him. Well, when he showed we showed up with like no shoes to practice or something, that was interesting. <laughs> yeah, so Tony's abilities are perfectly clear. I don't know how anyone could question his abilities. But whether he's able to put those abilities onto the field is more of a a doubtful kind of answer than a positive one. So I I could see the Chiefs, you know, if they if they just believe we have enough at receiver, that's one thing. But specifically saying like, oh, well, we don't really think we need Hopkins because we've got Kadarius Tony. Like you might as well be saying we don't need Hopkins because we got Rasheed Rice or something, you know, so it's that's who could just as easily be on the field. So. I don't know what to make of that. That that seemed like it was maybe um, just kind of chatter. But yeah, it seems like the Bills and the Chiefs, and if, if that report is to be believed, the Bills might be more urgent. But it's like, even then, what does that mean? If, if, if the Bills are more urgent in the sense that they go to the 100% to get a dollar figure uh, available, the Chiefs having a lot more cap space is, is 85% urgency to them, still a higher dollar figure at the end. I don't know what the calculus is on that. So 
I I still feel like it's more so Chiefs or I, I could see the the Jets and less so the Ravens, but uh, it seems like it's those four teams. And uh, I would have suggested Detroit, but I don't think they have the kind of quarterback that he's looking for. Hopkins, yeah, that. Yeah, it's um, yeah, some strong linkage to to uh, those teams. The, the the Jets idea was very interesting. If it is the Bills, you know how how does that how do you view that that passing attack all of a sudden? You know what what do you do about a guy who's sort of been forgotten about? I feel like in, in draft discourse this year, and and uh, well, I, I feel like Diggs doesn't get a lot of discussion for for these and. I mean, everyone like knows that he's like a you know a fringe first round type of guy. Um, so maybe there, there's just nothing new that needs to be said one way or the other. But obviously, Gabe Davis like carried um, a lot of uh, fantasy football content uh, that this time last year. Now he's like what an eighth round type of guy. I mean, have you been acquiring shares of him? And and you know, if, if Hopkins does end up in Buffalo, like what is, is he just? Uh, maybe drawn dead. The teams that have them are pretty much drawn dead. I've been getting some Davis, but uh, yeah, I guess I'm biased on this question of, of what it would mean for the bills to get Hopkins, because I think it's clearly not that good of a fit. I think it could actually backfire on them and make their offense worse because uh, Hopkins is a great player. That's, I don't mean like he'll get there and do a bad job, but Josh Allen and the bills have settled into a very particular sort of system. And there's a very particular sort of timing and spacing to all of it. And in my opinion, the times when Josh Allen has, has been most effective at, at throwing the ball in this, in this system is when they had credible threats to both corners, every plays. And I don't mean like cornerbacks. I mean, corners of the end zone where you, that's how you leverage Josh Allen's throwing velocity and his ability to extend plays is you give him someone with the range to reach those corners of the end zone. And when you do have that, the defense is forced to notice that they have to, they look at, they say, Oh God, this guy can get past our safeties. If we don't keep some, if we don't have too deep at all times, Allen's going to get this guy one-on-one and he's going to get it to the corner. He'll throw it, you know, 45 yards to the corner of the end zone and under a second, and there won't be anything we can do about it. And that's correct. There wouldn't be anything they could do about it in that case. So to me, getting some speed on the boundary and you have that speed and digs and you have less so at Gabe Davis on the other side. They've been kind of just forcing Gabe Davis into those uh, kind of downfield routes anyway, even though that's not really his strength. It's like he's he's an intermediate receiver. Uh, Gabe Davis is not a deep ball specialist, and yet they've been using him in that capacity because kind of it's like a combination of Diggs soaking up so many targets on the other side at all depths and the slot, I guess, previously Beasley and then you know most recently Isaiah McKenzie uh, drawing enough of the targets at those underneath intermediate depths that all Davis was really getting for, for routes where he was getting um, kind of competitive reps were these really deep ball late reads where it's like Allen's looking first at digs, not there. He looks at the slot. There's nothing there. Looks around maybe a little bit more. Then he looks at Davis and then Davis has done a good job with this, by the way, but that's just uh, to say it's like another measure of how it's not quite the right way to use him because it's not his strength. And yet he's doing a pretty good job of it. You, sh- you shouldn't have a guy running a four five four running an average depth of target of like 17 yards. That doesn't make any sense. They should have that down more to like 11 or 12 using more like UCF did. And to me, this means getting Davis more in the slot, getting Davis more horizontally. And they can't do that now 
especially after the Dalton Kincaid pick, because he's got to be in the slot or he's just not playing. So I think they're making things already worse on themselves by making the speed detail worse, uh, having less of the field that they can credibly threaten with Josh Allen's, Josh Allen's throwing velocity. And that, to me, is, is how... Th- that's, those are the situations where Allen has looked his worst, when the defense is just hovering in the intermediate and he's got nowhere to go but like trying to force it through that c- crowded intermediate. And I, I think that's when he makes his worst decisions, uh, probably has accuracy fluctuations in moments like that. Cause he has to hurry his throws to get the ball through the window that he sees, maybe not quite in time. And when you create less, or when you, when you bring less space on the field, you let the defense get closer to him. I think all those details turn for the worst. So anyway, getting Hopkins in the Davis rep, uh, a is not a meaningful improvement to me. If the, if it's the same route, you know, it's like Hopkins, if you want to make him a 17 yard depth of target receiver, who's drawing a target every 11 snaps, that won't work. So no. they, they can either change Diggs's role or they can accommodate Hopkins with a, a, sh- a shorter depth of target role that hasn't existed in the offense at any point that Josh Allen has had success. So I don't think it makes much sense for them to get Hopkins. And I think, uh, yeah, I think, I think it'll, I think they'll just get worse if they sign him. Yeah. It feels like a potentially like fragile um, situation there in Buffalo. And, and um, you know, it seemed like things were a little bit, you know, you, you lose a game in the playoffs in a year that, that you were expecting to, to make a run to the Super Bowl, like tensions are going to run high, but it seemed like, I don't know, Diggs seemed particularly displeased uh, at the end of the season. Uh, you bring in Hopkins, uh, all of a sudden there's question as to, you know, his alpha status in that, in that receiver room. You need to get rid know. of Diggs. I think I think that's that's the only scenario where it would make sense for the Bills to sign Hopkins is if Diggs isn't there because yeah then you can get Hopkins all those underneath intermediate targets that used to go to Diggs but you can't get Hopkins to tap into those deeper routes that Diggs currently gets and they have otherwise forced Davis to take and uh, yeah if they if they start messing with the Diggs part of that formula the whole thing could unravel. Yep. So um, keep an eye. Keep an eye as far as Hopkins in, in Buffalo and, and the potential there, but in Buffalo uh, in general. Um, let's get to a couple of the running backs, um, noted veterans that are unsigned right now. We got Zeke, we got Leonard Fournette, we got Kareem Hunt. Um, and then to, with today being June 1st, uh, that, that's a, a milestone in the, in the league calendar year. Um, so is, is there any potential with... with uh, of Dalvin Cook potentially no longer being a Viking uh, pretty soon here, uh, that type of thing? I would hope something today. I've actually been uh, talking so so much about the, the Panthers offense and uh, uh, Gabe Davis because I've been trying to stall, hoping some, some news would break on, on Dalvin Cook. And I'm running out of uh, little subjects to, to get us to bridge us that gap. It doesn't look like anything's going to necessarily happen soon. I, I was getting my hopes up that the June 1st uh, technicality to the, the term of the release would maybe make something have to happen by now. But uh, I, I don't know, maybe that June 1st thing is just a helpful suggestion rather than any kind of thing with bearing of any sort. Uh, no, it's still early on the West Coast. Still early on the West Coast. Yeah. So what, whenever, whenever this, if it exists, deadline about June 1st releases occurs it seems like dalvin cook will have to be released or re-signed to a pay cut basically which could be on the table and uh 
yeah, I, I certainly apologize to any um, people who might have invested in Alexander Madison under uh, me describing him as a three down player in the event of a Dalvin Cook release. If Dalvin Cook does not get released, because then Madison's just right back to, you know, not playing a whole lot. But uh, it seems to me like the Vikings would more likely cut Dalvin Cook and I don't know what's on the table at that point for his options. I think you've commonly seen him linked to Miami. I don't know if that makes quite as much sense as people assume. Uh, Devin, I don't either. Like I, I haven't understood that. Like they've done enough with their backfield. They brought everyone back and they added a chain. Like you don't, there, there can realistically at most be like two running backs on your formation at, at once. Right. Mostert and Wilson are on one year deals, but they're fully guaranteed basically. So they're going to be on the team and, you know, they already spent a fifth rounder to acquire Jeff Wilson in season as a rental last year. So for, for a team that ran the second fewest carries in the NFL last year, I think having a chain and, and Wilson and Mostert on guaranteed one year deals does constitute a pretty substantial investment already. But yeah, if they, if they sign cook, Pretty simple. Uh, A-Chain or Wilson is a scratch, and I think it's more so Wilson, so that um, I don't know. I, I, that, doesn't, that doesn't seem to me like where the Dolphins are specifically trying to get to, although sure, Dalvin Cook would likely be an upgrade over uh, Mosert and Wilson. I, I just, I don't know. Anyway, uh, if Dalvin Cook is released, I would imagine it's kind of a race at that point between him and Ezekiel Elliott to kind of um, be it the Dolphins, the Chargers. I don't know if the Eagles are still looking at anybody, some other team that might be involved. Uh, I don't know if, 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 if it's like Zeke and Dalvin Cook at that point start to kind of whatever you would call it, like triangulate or something until uh, some team reach some figure that they'd be comfortable with, with the, you know, the first player that would be the first domino to drop and at which point maybe everything else can kind of just fall into place right away. But it seems to me like the Chargers have they have enough space, A, and a lot of motive, certainly, to get someone much better than Joshua Kelly. And that's at once very easy to do. He's, he's one of the worst backups uh, going back a decent distance. And uh, they, they have a, the means, you know, it's like either Dalvin Cook or Ezekiel Elliott is there. I don't know how the Chargers can excuse missing out on both of them. No, I, I think they absolutely need uh, what, one of those two. I, I think Zeke aesthetically would be a, a better compliment to, to Eckler. Like he can really just kind of take on the dirty work and, and let Eckler uh, does what, what he does best. Um, but either way, I, I do think that the chargers need to need to bring in some reinforcements. And John, and uh, after, there. Oh, sorry. I was just gonna say after wherever cook goes or wherever Zeke goes, I guess if he's the first one, I think the Cowboys are still a candidate to sign the remainder I know that everyone wants you know full Tony Pollard takeoff, but there's this there's this one thing with the Dallas offense, the narrative around them that doesn't really make sense, and we'll we'll get it cleared up for us at some point. But right now, you're hearing this assumption that, especially because they signed Brian Schottenheimer's offensive coordinator, that like, oh boy, the idiot Cowboys, they're just going to run the ball all dang day, uh, not going to throw it anymore ever again. And if that's true, then Tony Pollard is not the only running back that's playing. And they need someone else, someone that they haven't signed yet. If they are going with Tony Pollard as their lead running back and their backup is Ronald Jones, then they're not running the ball very much, actually. They're throwing the ball all the time because you're just going to break Pollard if you try to make him go over 15 carries a game every single week while also getting his customary pass-catching work. 
So I think maybe maybe Dalvin Cook would seem like overkill, especially if if people consider Dalvin Cook like a major upgrade to Ezekiel Elliott. I don't, for what it's worth. I think Elliott and Cook are closer than people tend to make it seem. So uh, Dallas has about ten and a half million in cap space. The Chargers have about twelve and a half million. I would not be totally shocked to see Cook or Zeke end up in Dallas. Okay, and then uh, do do we think that uh, the Buccaneers bring anyone in? So they probably want to sign somebody. I don't know how much anyone wants to sign with them is the thing. Uh, I will say I'm out on Rashad White at ADP, and I don't think they need to add anyone for for White to still kind of screw it up. I think if Sean Tucker makes the team, he's a problem for Rashad White. Chase Edmonds could be a problem for Rashad White. However, yes, the Buccaneers could also still sign someone. I would imagine Ezekiel Elliott uh, would be maybe their best case because they... They don't want Fournette. That's a, that's a culture departure right there, obviously. And um, Cook probably wants to play for a more competitive team. Uh, Elliot might not have the choice to be so picky, however. So right. I, I would guess he would be the one, not Fournette, and uh, not Dalvin Cook for Tampa Bay. Maybe Kareem Hunt, but that's just, that's like kind of quitting at this point. Yeah, well, I mean, that, that's not too far off from just kind of the, the general Bucks trend uh, since Brady. I'm, I, I mean to say, uh, I encourage it, them quitting. It's a good idea. Yeah. I mean, tank for Drake May or Caleb Williams or something. Did anything but uh, what they could potentially do where they just annoyingly like win like seven games. Their defense is going to probably be pretty good. So they, right. they really might be one of those teams that goes like 500 with a a leading ball carrier who averages like 3.4 yards per carry. Ah, uh, beautiful. You know, mission accomplished. If, if that ends up uh, being the case, um, let's see, Let, let's break down uh, so, some differences uh, between underdog and DraftKings As far as, you know, there's obviously like the, the scoring distinction, but I, I think um, that one of the bigger things that, that has stuck out to us is, the the round structure where you get twenty on DraftKings and right now on on Underdog you you have eighteen. So how does that alter you know kind of your approach going in uh, to Underdog Underdog versus uh, DraftKings and uh, are, if there are any players that you find yourself getting more of on one site uh, than the other, please uh, share with the class. Right and crucially, the DraftKings format is not just twenty rounds, but it's twenty rounds with no kickers or defenses with. Underdog also has no kickers or defenses. It's just um, hearing the 20 round format. Someone could maybe remember the the MFL 10 format and be like, oh, it must be that. And it's not that it's the same scoring, but it's uh, also I should mention the DraftKings has like the, the three point three hundred yard, 100 yard bonus thing. Um, but there's unlike the, the MFL 10s, there's no kickers or defenses on uh, the DraftKings format. So it's uh, almost like having a 22 round version of of the MFL 10 format or something if, if they were keeping in the kickers and defenses like that's the level of depth that you're getting into at the skill positions so that's why uh like earlier we were saying John uh, or when you're asking about Justin Ross it was easier for me to imagine myself taking Justin Ross on DraftKings because we're getting into the 19th and the 20th round whereas in an 18 round format be it half point PPR like underdog or even full point PPR I'm not getting close to Ross because 
there's a chance like Richie James is still on the board and I've got Richie James ahead of him. But if I'm in the 19th round or the 20th round and Richie James already went in the 18th and, you know, I don't have, uh, I, I guess I could take Ross for any reason, but I guess if you're, you know, going with the Mahomes stack or something, like maybe that's the extra nudge that I need to consider it there. It's like, if I'm in the, if I have Mahomes, I mean, I'm in the 19th and I only have like a couple chiefs paired with him. Maybe that's when I go for Ross, but it's like that scenario would never happen with me no matter what in the 18 round version. Okay. Yeah. So you, you have a little bit more freedom to, to mess around with, with um, your, your later, not to mess around, but you know, it, round it would be messing around exposures. in the 18 round, but it's totally uh, cool and responsible. Like, uh, Oh, the other one, John is a, uh, I, I, I'm going to have to do a bunch of DraftKings drafts specifically so I can get some Chris Rodriguez exposure because I, I don't have the guts to take him in the 18th and underdog. Uh, maybe I just should do that and get over it. Uh, but uh, in the 19th or 20th round, I would I want to take Chris Rodriguez pretty much every time. Yes, I actually. Um, so I, I've drank the Kool-Aid on that. I, I got him with the very um, or with my last pick, the first pick of the 18th round. So 205. Um, so definitely higher than, than his ADP, but I definitely feel better about Chris Rodriguez than Joshua Kelly or, or Zach oh, yeah. Evans or Kareem Hunt, some of the other running backs uh, that, that went in that round. Um, so yes, fu- fully endorse uh, Rodriguez with your last pick, uh, definitely on on DraftKings. And and I think it, it's not a bad idea to, to go ahead and try to get some Rodriguez shares uh, before training camp starts, at least on underdog. Yeah, there there is a case for it, and and I I do want to believe it's uh but yeah Rodriguez, uh really easy to to fit guys like him. It's easier to to fit in the uh, twenty round format. And other than that, I guess, uh, it being ha- half point PPR on underdog versus full point PPR on on DraftKings, it does nudge you toward or me anyway toward making wide receiver picks earlier. Uh, the draft that I just did. On DraftKings, I believe, how did I go? I took Mahomes in the second round. So I think my other three of my first four picks were wide receivers. And that's something that I wouldn't do very often on underdog. Like I'm probably getting a running back in there, an underdog. But the full point PPR, uh, the deep benches, I think it makes it, I think it makes it necessary to get a bunch of, you know, high target count killers at receiver. Whereas at running back, since you can, comfortably keep like seven on your roster, you can kind of just spam numbers there, I think. And over the course of a 18 week season, 17 games, you, that becomes, you know, more and more the type of player who's on the field, the later in the season that it gets, you know, the Chris Rodriguez types. So uh, I think, uh, yeah, it, an underdog, I, I feel the need to get at least one running back that I consider like a 30 point candidate in any given week, you know, like Jonathan Taylor and Nick Chubb or whatever. I still want to get that on DraftKings, but it's less important to me because I, I, I'm more concerned about having a really, really high point total at receiver than I am on underdog. Yeah, no, that that's absolutely true. Um, you know, dra- uh, DraftKings, I, I've found myself to be a little bit more inclined to get uh, Cooper Cup. If, you know, not, not that I'm like intentionally fading Cup on, on underdog. It, it's just like there's usually, uh, you know, I'm choosing between a Kelsey and then maybe I'll do do the stack or um or even like a Bijan Robinson uh instead of Cup. But but Cup, I, I don't really think twice if I'm if I'm picking fifth or so uh over on DraftKings. 
I want, do you want to, uh, I don't know if you want to talk about the whole Cardinals offense, John, or just on the subject of a late round. Okay. Um, cause yeah, on the subject, especially of the late round players, we have a, a, a kind of increasingly interesting subject in, in the third round rookie pick, Michael Wilson, who is an interesting subject, a, a case study that's kind of it's it's one that's seeing how on the, their toes, you know, the dynasty scene, the online uh, scouting scene might be because you're, you're seeing people forced to give takes on a player that they didn't really plan to or want to necessarily say that much about. But it's like he's on this, you know, he's on the subject list. Like, what do you think about Michael Wilson? Do you have to have a take about Michael Wilson? What is it? And you're seeing some people kind of uh, try to do something, you know, have a take ready and uh, they kind of lurch toward whatever the, you know, um, the tendencies of their, their process, their ideology is. And they kind of have a lot of faith in their conclusion, even though they, as they talk more about Michael Wilson, they reveal, they don't really know that much about who he is. So I can imagine there being, uh, kind of incoherent, inaccurate narratives bubbling up as, as like demand for information is met with responses that are ill-informed, uh, and, and contribute to, to that narrative. But one, one thing you might see is people who are really confident in, in things like dominator rating and breakout age and draft capital even might look at Michael Wilson and, and they'll say like, oh, look at him. He sucks. He's late third rounder. He's going to be a 24-year-old rookie or whatever. He didn't break out uh, at, at any good age. His, his, his share percentages were horrible. Look at this. Connor Weddington is eating his lunch. Uh, and so on and so on. <laughs> and I can understand why people would reach those confused conclusions about him, but it's really as simple as this. He got hurt a bunch at Stanford. A lot. And that's like he played, he played, few, uh, let's see, 14 games over the last three years and 22 in his first two seasons at Stanford. Yeah. So he was a fifth year player, got hurt all the time. And uh, it's concerning enough, you know, his injury history. That's, that's, uh, Plenty good reason to be concerned. However, the age point, the breakout thing, the the share percentage point, those are all misunderstandings. And and you know you're not going to get any closer to the answer, whatever the answer is with Wilson, by looking at that stuff because the injuries just tainted the sample. Like even the games that he was playing, we don't know how healthy he was. We don't know how many reps he got in practice that week. We don't know if he was playing like 20 snaps because Weddington was the only healthy one and he played 50 stuff like that. Uh, tainting the sample further. There is, however, one point in his second year at the age of 19 where I think Wilson played just long enough in just stable enough of a role that we got a pretty good look at who he is. And in that age 19, true sophomore year, uh, he only played 10 games then too, but he uh, he was doing like 60 yards a game and had totally good uh, efficiency marks. His efficiency was always very good at Stanford. I'm pretty sure he was above baseline the entire time. And in that age 19 sophomore year, he had pretty good share percentages too. So those are the kind of things you want to fixate on if you're, if you're trying to really get through to the nature of a prospect is like, see how they hold up under, see, see how their efficiency holds up as they, in the cases that they earn volume at, uh, you know, an age where they can't be explained as having an age advantage. So at 19, Wilson was not producing because he had an age advantage. You could say that if he had, you know, a big year as a 50 year senior, it'd be like, yeah, I mean, if he's 22, 23, it's possible that's why he's producing. But because he produced the way that he did at age 19 as a sophomore, we know that's not it. So 
at that point, we have some level of skill demonstrated. Like you don't produce like he did that sophomore year unless you have some amount of ability. He would have either had less share percentage or his efficiency would have been worse. So the skill is accounted for, at which point for me, you mostly just look at the workout metrics. And he had uh, what was like a four, five, eight, forty or something, which is yes. It's at, not at six two, two thirteen. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So uh that's that's uh, a 40 time that tells you he's not really a deep ball receiver. He doesn't have downfield speed, but that's fine because that's not what he was billed as. That's not what the theory needs him to be. What the theory of Wilson needs is for him to hold up physically, you know, not get hurt and play mostly underneath intermediate kind of uh, role, but he can line up anywhere. He can line up outside. He can line up in the slot. As long as you get him his usage underneath and in the intermediate, he can be fine and his metrics. So his 40 wasn't great, but uh, all his other workout metrics were really good. So he, de- yeah, so he's, even he can jump. His 10 yard split was really good too. Also. So he can threaten credibly those first 10 yards with athleticism like that. And that's all he really needs to do. I think to, to, uh, to make his skill set show up sufficiently. So I think Wilson, you know, he was, he was a totally decent round three pick. He's, He's got some uneven parts of his profile, but that's why he's there in the third. And uh, so this isn't like uh, Eric Azukanma. No, and it's not. It's not Josh Palmer. Like he's definitely way better than Josh Palmer or somebody like that. So it's interesting. It, th- he could just get hurt right away. Uh, we might never get a chance to test, you know, the hypothesis of Michael Wilson. But if he doesn't get hurt, the Cardinals pretty much have to give him something like 800 snaps this year. Uh, in other words. Don't take Greg Dortch over Michael Wilson in a draft, in, in an underdog, whatever it is. Don't take Dortch. I've done it. I've done it, but I'm not going to anymore, I promise. <laughs> yeah, they got to get Rondell Moore and Marquise Brown on the field, and there's no way in hell they're getting all three of those 160-pound receivers. I guess Rondell's, uh, Rondell's the giant at 180. Yeah. <laughs> um, at 5'7", 180. So, uh, yeah, you can't have 5'7", 180 playing next to 5'7", 165, next to 5'8", 165. It's not serious. It's not. It's not. They, they've just tra- they just traded for two two Atwell, as you said it. Okay, maybe if they go far enough in that direction, maybe there's something <laughs> there. But you can't you can't just go with uh, three five eight one sixty guys. Like you got to go four wide, and you got to get that body mass index lower still. So yeah, if you if maybe if they make like some kind of low point, they'll they'll tap through tap into something. You know, just uh, the other way. You know, to, through some kind of dark, uh, horrible, uh, unearthing skinny man cosmos. Um, <laughs> but you know, I, I think you, you make it a compelling point point on, on Wilson. And I, I think, yeah, people are going to fixate on, on the wrong things, but I, th- I think also people are going to notice that, Hey, like outside of Marquise Brown and, you know, an all an oft injured Rondale Moore, there's nothing here like that. There's nothing that that isn't up for grabs. So therefore, Wilson being that third round guy b- going where he does in drafts, we 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 have the potential here to see him climb. I'm not g- going to say it's going to be astronomical, but uh, whereas you used to be able to just kind of sit back and uh, grab him in the 18th and, it, you know, that's easy. It's done. Uh, you might need to reach up a little bit further um, if if things start going this way because he wasn't getting drafted for a while. Now he is getting drafted, and I think that that's a signal that it's going to continue to go up a little bit. Yeah, and that will be, at that point, a different question for me maybe. like It's easy for me to say now, 
yeah, full green light in the 18th round. I, I have no qualms at all with, with Wilson in the 18th. I think I'm okay with it in the 17th. I, I guess the question of my faith is, is like, what if he starts pushing for 16th? And that's, that's where I maybe have to hit pause for a second. And if, if it gets higher than 16, then I'm probably back out. Yeah, because the, the 16th, you're, you're getting, I, I guess the receivers in that neighborhood. Um, there are Will, some Wilson, worse picks in there than Wilson, I can say. Yeah. Oh, Nathaniel Dell, worst pick. Robert Woods, worst pick. Hunter Renfro, Curtis Samuel, uh, maybe even Chase Claypool. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how Claypool. Claypool's getting to like 400 yards this year in that in that team. Um, yeah, it's basically for me. It's basically just uh, Hardman is the only pl- and Terrace Marshall and Deontay Hardy are the only players in that range that I'm considering other than Wilson. And uh, I would take Wilson over certainly Isaiah Hodgins, but he's going to keep falling. Uh, I, I think I am about ready to put Wilson kind of, uh, I don't know, behind like Marvin Mims, or Josh Downs, that kind of range, 175, something like that. It. I, I had this stray thought over the weekend. Um, I don't know why, and this is probably an overreaction, but for, for some reason specifically, like Josh Downs having like a soft tissue injury at, at rookie minicamp or OTAs or whatever, like, I don't know. It, it just like, it feels like a, like a bad omen. Uh, Not that I mean, he was like always injured at UNC, but like I, I just, it, it just feels like so, this, this, this could go poorly this year. I, I don't know. Well, if he's hurt, that'd be one thing. But I, th- I think if he's not hurt, then he's their third receiver. And I think Alec Pierce can only draw so many targets because he's going to be the one stuck with like the fly routes and the post routes. So I just figure uh, there, there's going to be room f- for downs. And he'll never be the guy that the defense has cracked down on the most because Pittman's probably going to get most coverage after that. But a lot of this is me just banking on Isaiah McKenzie being just completely non-viable, which I, I think he is. Like, I don't think... I think if, if the second you get McKenzie over like 20 snaps in a game, he just starts killing you. And if, Yeah, if, no, he's a gadget guy. If the Colts try to do that like the Bills did, they'll suffer way worse consequences because it's like they're not a... They're not an otherwise solid and established offense, you know, with a polished veteran quarterback. Like they, they just get out there and be like, oh my God, it's like nine on 11 all of a sudden because, you know, our quarterback's a rookie. It's like, yeah, and, that's why and, you don't do that. Would it, would it kind of give you bad vibes off the jump about Steichen if, if McKenzie has this big role? Um, because I'm probably more of a Steichen apologist i would i would have to read it in the short term as like i guess downs is hurt or something uh but yeah if if i would be shocked if steichen saw much utility in mckenzie for very long i think he might almost look at him as like a running back or something which is more of what he is than a receiver honestly just let him do special team stuff he was good at that at georgia even like 20 snaps or something it's like if you're putting isaiah mckenzie on the field in like a total element of surprise kind of situation, then he can make a big play. But the problem that the bills, the mistake the bills made was they looked at that, you know, 10 cool snaps that he gives you and said, what if we gave him 50? And the answer is you just don't do that. Cause you'll, you'll get overexposed there. So, uh, but yeah, he, he'll be the wide receiver four, I think. And, uh, not a particularly active one in my opinion. Okay. All right. Noted on that front. And then, uh, Rounding out the the Arizona thing, um, so Marquise Brown 
now goes in the in the sixth round. He kind of goes in this cluster um, with I, I've been Mr. Jordan Addison basically in in this particular range of the draft. But um, in the sixth last night alone, you had uh, let's see, going from uh, first to to last in this round, we got Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, Marquise Brown, JSN, Tyler Lockett. So you know four. Uh, Why is Lockett go- going so late? That doesn't make we, we, he. We go through this like every year, and last year being the most uh, uh, insightful demonstration yet. It's like don't don't think Lockett is done yet. Um, but yeah, yeah, going later than JSN is is very strange to me. So, uh, I love Addison's. I I, I, haven't, I can't remember if I took much time to mention. This. I think Addison is going to just torch right away, and I have zero concerns about him at all. None. Uh, so I, I love Jordan Addison. I think I would continue to take Addison over Brown, which is to say I'm probably way lower on Brown than most people. I, I worry it, the target share is, I guess, good. You know, it's not like I would prefer that he had a lower projected target share, but I do worry about this completely imploding. And yes. I, I think Marquise Brown getting like 10 targets plus per game is, 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 it's plainly overexposure for Brown and his abilities, but also I think it's the kind of overexposure that it can just cause a complete breakdown. Uh, like the, like going yeah, I mean, entire we, halves. We saw something like that in Baltimore. Yeah. I think you can imagine them going like entire halves struggling to get like two or three first downs uh, because they'll just have so many game plans that are just dead on arrival. Cause it's like banking on 40% of their production to go through one player who just can't do it. And it's like, you don't just miss out on that 40. It's like that all starts collapsing into all the stuff next to it too. And it just takes down everything. So yeah, I, it'll be Marquise great. Brown, like, Oh, sorry. It's, it's, it's great if he's getting 12 targets a game, but if he's hovering at like six yards a target, do we really care? Especially when he's not going to get many touchdown opportunities. Exactly. Like he, he was a, he had 6.6 yards per target last year. And then, uh, in, in the year that he, I thought he was overexposed in Baltimore, oh, yeah. um, 6.9 yards per target on a hundred. It can get lower. So, so he got to a thousand and yes, it still managed to get lower last year. Um, yeah, that there is just kind of like, yes, Hopkins is gone, but this offense in and of itself might just be so bad, especially with the Kyler Murray injury that, um, you know, again, you just don't want exposure to it until you get Michael Wilson in the 17th round. Yes, exactly. I, I'm. I would much sooner be interested in Rondell Moore at price than Marquise Brown at price, but more than either of them, Wilson at current price is, is what I would prefer. If Wilson starts to cost close to more, then I would revisit that. But uh, yeah, Marquise Brown, his price going up because of that mode of analysis that's so popular. It's just like target, like target share go up, uh, value go up. Like no, there's there's additional conditions that need to be satisfied before line number go up too. like you, you gotta, uh-huh. you have to account for some other basic things first. And, and just generally like how, how bleak is this quarterback situation looking like, I, I don't know how I think we can assume it's the worst in the league, but what Kyler Murray. Oh no. Uh, I mean like Murray being out for, you know, a, a good chunk of the season. That they should just keep the, him out. They should keep him out and they should trade Marquise Brown. I've, I was mentioning that, like the, all the talk about they, they need to trade Hopkins. Yeah, that, that would have been nice. They also needed to trade Marquise Brown because he's they're going to wait a year to get maybe a third rounder after maybe like breaking him physically before he even gets to free agency. Like 
trade him for a third or a second right now to some team that'll extend him because you're not going to. And uh, keep Kyler out because no one's... I, keep Clayton Toon out. He's he's too good for this too. Get like... Go go find... Uh, I don't know. J- John Skelton must be free. Have him play this year. Yeah, no. He's, he's probably hanging out. Um, or, you know... Uh, get some Jeff Driscoll. Um, yeah, get Driscoll. Know, Houston, He's perfect for this. The, exactly. Have him Houston run showed us. Houston showed us the way with, with Driscoll last year, right? So, um, why not just put copy him, that cut him Arizona. loose and tell the defense try to catch him, and then you get it all at the end of the year. Get some picks and start making a real offense. Yep. But until then, I'm just gonna sit and hope that red zone does not fixate on any cardinals games i wouldn't worry about it yeah exactly that's gonna do it for us here on this episode of the rotowire fantasy football pod again presented by our friends over at circa that's mario i'm john mckechnie thanks for listening Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at ritual.com prenatal.